Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Absolutely pumped to be here. Wednesday night, best night of the week. Who believes that to be true? If you think Wednesday's the best night of the week, give a shout. Say, yes, that's true. Would it be, would it be Wednesday night if I wasn't playing with this uh, stupid clicker and I was messing up big time? No, it wouldn't be Wednesday night without that. So welcome. We're super glad you're here. If you're brand uh, new here tonight, I met a couple of you guys in the lobby Welcome. I'm so glad that you guys are here. We're a community of students learning to live for one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And so welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're uh, new to this community and you want to learn more, you want to be all in at Citizens, then I would love to talk to you afterwards and just tell you all about who we are and what we're about. All right, before we get started tonight, I want to let you in on a little secret. It's not really a secret about me. It's just a fact. It's a fact about me. I love one thing more than anything, and that thing is music. I love music. Music is so, I, I, I absolutely love music. My wife made a face. Of course, my wife's first. That's kind of implied whenever I make statements like that. Yep, sorry, babe. Um, but anyway, I love music. I am really weird because I can't play any instruments. I uh, couldn't tell you, if you started talking to me about music theory, I'd probably start crying because I just don't understand it. Um, But I love listening to music. I love watching people on YouTube fight about which music is better and why which which person's right. I'm absolutely uh, in love with music. And so I, of course, like most music nerds do, a couple years ago, they decided collectively to prove how much you liked music, you had to have like the biggest and best record collection, I guess. And so I kind of bought into that whole thing and I was like, yeah, I could collect records. I know I don't have a stereo or like an income or anything like that. When I was like in high school and I was like, yeah, I'll just start collecting records, who cares? And so now over the past couple of years, I have built up a small, a humble, but a, a very uh, a small and humble record collection that I very much enjoy. And I brought one of those records with me today. And this was a record that I got a couple days ago, or no, a couple weeks ago. It's been longer than that. And this is uh, an album by Sir Paul McCartney. I don't know if anybody knows who this guy is. He's, making a, he's very surprised to see you. Um, but Paul McCartney, I don't know if you know who this guy is. If you don't, shame on you. He was a member of a band called The Beatles. He is still alive today, and he is my favorite, man. I love this guy so much. He's my favorite Beatle, and I think he's hilarious. I think he's creative. I think he's a goofball, and I love him. And so I found this record for like a dollar at like a dollar store. Or no, like a, not a dollar store, at like a uh, Goodwill. Yeah, something like that. Something where everything was really cheap and people were just grabbing things by the ton. And I found this for like $2, and I was like, yes, excellent. And so what you need to know about old records is sometimes you mostly need to, you need to check the records before you buy them, if they've been used before, and make sure that they don't have any scratches, they don't have any uh, uh, flaws inside of them, because when you go to play it, if there's a scratch on it, sometimes it messes up, right? And so this record specifically, I love to death, but at the very, very end, I noticed, I bought it for two bucks, there's a massive scratch right towards the end of it, and every time I play it, if I don't uh, pay attention, it hits that scratch and just what happens to records when... No, no, it starts skipping. So it like bounces a little bit and goes right back to the, like, the past 0.5 seconds of the song. 
So the song's like, you know, you know that, you know how it goes, right? And this is where we get the expression, what? Like you sound like a broken record, right? You sound like a broken record because is this news to some people? We can, we can, you can say that it is. Yeah. So when a record is broken, it just kind of keeps repeating itself. And so there's some people in your life right now that you know and you love and you are just like, mom, dad, I love you. You've told me how to do the dishes your very specific way a million times. And in the heart of hearts, in your heart of hearts, in that moment, you're just like, this person sounds like a broken record. Or maybe that friend who is just like head over heels for like a new guy. And they just like keep telling you how much they love this person. And you're like, you sound like a broken record. And sometimes we just want to look at these people who keep constantly telling us the same thing over and over and over and over again and be like, I get it. Thank you. Love you but you sound like a broken record. And tonight we're gonna look at a passage where we would be tempted to read it and say, James, you sound like a broken record. You keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. Tonight, the, the main point of our passage and what James is trying to communicate to us tonight in James chapter two, it's indisputable. There's gonna be no question about it because James kind of sounds like a broken record over and over and over again in this passage, four specific times out of the 12. He's gonna say something to the effects of faith without action is dead. Faith without works is dead. If, if you have uh, faith but you don't have action that accompanies that faith, what's the point? What's the use? What's the good of it? So many times throughout this book, James tells us that faith needs to be put into action. And tonight we're gonna be clearly seeing that an actionless faith is a dead faith. An actionless faith is a dead faith. And I know you might hear that right now and think, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, that's just the reality of what James has to communicate to us tonight. Actionless faith is a dead faith. So it kind of raises the questions. We need to kind of define our terms before we dive in. What is faith? What does it mean to have faith? It's in our series titles. You've heard it probably a million times before, but what is faith? Another passage in scripture says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidences of things not yet seen. Faith is actively believing that something will happen or something will be the thing that it says it is, even when we can't accurately completely see it 100% right in front of us yet. We have faith all the time in a non-spiritual sense. We have faith like if you walk across a bridge or drive across the bridge, as we do many times here in the Portland Metro, you kind of have faith that that bridge is going to do what it's supposed to do and just stay standing. You have faith that it's gonna hold you up. If you walk into a building like this, a building you've been in a million times, you have faith that the building is just not gonna randomly collapse, right? And in a spiritual sense, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, someone we know who is coming back, who is returning, but right now it takes uh, faith to believe in him. It takes faith to know Jesus Christ. And James here in this section He's going to start defining what faith looks like for us as well. Faith isn't just a, uh, simply an intellectual pursuit or a one-and-done decision. Faith is an ongoing, active way of life pursuing Jesus Christ. <clears throat> We're going to be talking a lot about faith tonight. Make no mistakes. Make no mistakes that James has a very clear and concise message that he wants to communicate to us. And that is an actionless faith is a dead faith. An actionless faith 
is a dead faith, useless, pointless. Faith needs to be put into actions. There needs to be a genuine faith in Jesus Christ that is accompanied by a genuine lifestyle of Jesus-centered works. Now, again, before we dive in, I feel like I need another disclaimer here. Uh, We're going to be here in verses 14 uh, through 26 in James chapter 2. So go ahead and flip there if you haven't already. There's going to be some tension here maybe when when you read this, when when we teach through this, when we listen to what God's word has to say. Because oftentimes, uh, certain people with a theological perspective will point at this passage and say, well, clearly, clearly it's made evident in this passage that we have to do something in order to gain salvation in Jesus. Even if it's like a little tiny thing, assuredly, James is telling us in this passage that we have to work or we have to at least work to maintain. Maybe we don't get it, but we at least have to work to maintain it. And I'm here to tell you that everything we teach through tonight, Everything that I tell you tonight, everything that we see in in God's word here tonight would not affirm that. We're not here to say, I'm not here to say, and James isn't saying that you have to work harder in order to get more favor with God, that you have to work harder to keep that salvation from the Lord. That's not true whatsoever. And what many people hear in this next couple passage is a tension between the writings of Paul and the writings of James. People kind of view it as maybe like this theological battle, this back and forth. But friends, it isn't a tension point. It isn't a contradiction whatsoever. It is the perfect intersection of a genuine faith and a genuine lifestyle of working for the Lord. It is a perfect marriage of the two. And that's what we get a glimpse into tonight. Faith is, is a two, it's a two-part thing, right? We have an initial moment where we meet Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then we have a lifestyle of following after him. We have a lifestyle following after him after we experience that genuine moment with him. It's two parts of our faith. And tonight, uh, as we preach, as I preach, as you listen, as you hear God's word, know very clearly that nothing you can do in your own power and your own strength can earn you enough favor with God to let you just into heaven or let you into a relationship with him uh, because of your works. But tonight we're gonna see the perfect intersection of faith and works, the perfect relationship, what it should look like in our lives. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. God, we love you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for what your word says. God, I pray that my perspective and my opinion would fall to the background tonight. I pray that your word would be clear, that your word would be concise. God, I pray that you would uh, shine a light on any questions that we have, and God, we would be able to trust you with them. God, we love you. We're thankful for what your word says and how it's communicated to us. It's all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here, it's on the screen and in your Bibles. This is James chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
We see kind of James's uh, uh, perspective here, James's uh, truth that he's communicating uh, bookended between this illustration that he gives. Now, it's been a while since I've been in an English class. Maybe some of you guys are in English class right now. Mostly, everyone, right? Yeah, okay, cool. There you go. And I did learn one very specific thing in English, and that is when you are writing a paper, pretty much of any kind, if you're writing a paper in the introduction, there needs to be a very clear what. What needs to be at the beginning? If you're making an argument, if you're trying to draw attention to a point, you need to have this statement, a thesis statement. Who said it? Who said thesis? Candy, candy for you. I missed. A thesis statement, right? A thesis statement is a very, uh, it's pointed, it's specific. It's the reason why that person is holding the paper in your hand. And I would argue that uh, not just of this passage, but of this entire book, this is one of James's main, this is his thesis statement. This is the thing. This is why you're reading this. This is why this is important to you to understand right now. And like a good student, James supports his thesis specifically in this passage with practical examples and historical uh, evidence. James does all these things all throughout this passage right here. And he does it very specifically, right? We see, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then we see here at the end, so also faith by itself, uh, if it does not have works, is dead. It's bookended between this amazing illustration between, uh, that James makes up for us, that James shows us an interaction between a poor person, someone who doesn't have anything, and somebody who has a claiming to have faith in Jesus. And he gives us, gives us this glimpse into this imaginary conversation. This uh, passage specifically echoes what we talked about last week, right? It echoes verses one through four, where we're not supposed to show partiality, where we're not supposed to uh, show a favor to someone if they have a lot of good things, if they have uh, money or influence, and then treat somebody who doesn't have those things poorly. This passage right here uh, directly echoes that reality. It's this hilarious encounter where somebody is needing uh, the love of Christ, where somebody is needing just practical, specific needs. And somebody says to them, good things, right? They say to them good things, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. And he, James says, what good is it if somebody does that? What good is it if somebody says the right things, but they're not actually following up the good things they're saying with tangible, actual works? And friends, that brings us to our first point of tonight's message, is that genuine faith produces a genuine love for others. Genuine faith produces genuine love for others others. He paints a picture of a person who's claiming to have genuine faith, but they don't have actions to follow it up. James is offering this uh, hypothetical uh, question. What good is that faith? What good is it if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? I want to highlight something here really quickly. Like you see here in verse 14, the question that he asks, can that faith save him? Can that faith save him? And so maybe you see that uh, in, in verse 14, and you think, okay, look, Noah, I know what you said at the very beginning. But verse 14, can that faith save him? Is James saying that we need to, uh, if we, we, we want to maintain a saving faith, we have to keep working for it. 
Or, or, or is my faith not uh, perfect if I'm not working constantly at it? No, James, this is a question that James poses to his listeners. Can that faith save him? A.K.A. is that faith genuine? A.K.A. is that faith actually real? Is that faith all that it, that person says it is? If the person genuinely claims to know Jesus, but yet they have no shred of evidence that they desire to love and care for the other people uh, that surround them, is that faith real? AKA, is that a saving faith? So no, James isn't saying that if this person uh, had turned their, uh, had changed their mind and decided to help them, oh sweet, then of course. Now, because they worked hard, now they have a saving faith. No, this is the question that he asks. If there's no heart, if there's no evidence, if there's no uh, desire whatsoever to serve and to help those who need help, James is saying, can that faith save him? Is that a genuine, real, true faith? Continuing on, it's this, uh, it's just in verse 14 and 16, it's, it's such a kind of cringy encounter right? Imagine this. It's almost a hilariously insulting response that this imaginary person who claims to have faith gives this person in need. They tell them the right things. Oh, uh, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and they don't do anything about it. In this context, this, these words here specifically, go in peace, that makes, basically means, yeah, yeah, go, go away. Thanks. Go, go get the things that you need. Go get the help that you need. But I'm not going to be the one to help you. I'm not going to be the one to provide those things for you. I'm not going to be the one who can help you with that situation right now. And James is saying, it's such a cringy thing. It's like if you were, go, if you were to go up to someone who was experiencing houselessness and you were just like, hey, maybe like just don't do that. Maybe just like get a house and be rich. Maybe just like think that way. And it's just like, oh my gosh, you would never ever say that. It's this, uh, this hilarious thing that James shows us that there is a, there's something incorrect, there's something off in this encounter. When someone says the right things, when somebody uh, wants to look the right part, but they don't actually have the evidence to show, they don't actually go out of their way to serve and help others, is that a saving faith? Is that an, a, a faith that's put in action if there's no evidence of that? What good is that? James uses very specific language. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So friends, the genuine faith that we have in God produces genuine love for others that the world simply cannot explain. The genuine faith that we have in God produces a genuine love for others that the world can't explain. Because at the end of the day, we truly have no uh, desire, at least I don't have any desire within my flesh, within my own flesh to help and to serve and to love other people. It's only because of the love of Christ and for the love of, of what Christ has shown me that I want to return and serve help and help others. Genuine godly faith, genuine faith in the Lord produces a genuine love for other people around us. And we in our, our flesh have no reason and desire to want to do that. And so James is pointing out and he's creating this example of somebody who has no shred of empathy and no heart for the lost whatsoever. And he raises the question, is that the real faith? Is that the real deal? 
And he would say very clearly tonight, no, it's not. Does that person love the Lord if they don't even love other people whatsoever? No, probably not. A genuine faith in God will do things like this. A genuine faith in the Lord would have us go out. The evidence of that would be us going out to serve and to care for those who need help. We saw this last week with uh, verses one through four, what we can't hold judgment and faith at the same time. It's just not something we can do. So friends, the question tonight for you is how are you meeting the needs of other people right now? How are you meeting the needs of other people right now? Now, um, if you're a Christian, if you, know, uh, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have a genuine relationship with him, then there is, even if it's not where you want to be, there is in you a heart to serve other people. But my question to you right now is how are you doing in that? How are you doing in this world? How are you meeting the needs of others around you? Because genuine faith always, always produces a genuine love for other people. So who are you serving? What does your weekly rhythm of service look like? Maybe you're in this room right now and you want to serve other people, but there's just kind of stuff that's stopping you. You know you have the heart, you know you have the desire somewhere inside of you, but you're just not doing it. So you know the Lord, you know you have the desire. So what stops us sometimes? What stops us? Well, I think there can be a couple things. Sometimes we, uh, we don't want to serve other people because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We just don't want to feel uncomfortable. It, it, we have to go out of our way. It, sometimes they won't receive it well. It's just, it, it makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't notice the needs of others, right? You, you don't want to serve because you simply just don't see the needs around you. Or maybe you would say that you just don't have time to serve other people around you. And a genuine faith in the Lord overcomes all of these obstacles. If you are here in this moment, you say you don't want to be uncomfortable, a genuine faith says that the momentary uncomfortability is definitely worth it. If you're in this moment right now and you're saying, well, I just don't notice the needs, a genuine faith genuinely pays attention to the needs around them. A genuine faith in God is gonna be uh, us constantly praying and asking for the Lord to open the eye, our eyes to see the needs of those around us, to see the needs of those who are in our community. And I guarantee you they exist. If we pray and we ask the Lord to slowly reveal those things to us, I guarantee you, you will see those things. And to the person in the room right now who says that you just don't have time to serve others, a genuine faith in God is constantly and always focused on serving others rather than serving ourselves. And so there, maybe there needs to be right now in your heart, in, your mo in this moment, a reprioritization of those who are lost, of those who are needy. That's what faith in action looks like. James shows us that our genuine saving faith, the faith that is inside of us from Jesus alone, will constantly and always have the desire to serve other people. Faith in action. So continuing on. Look at the text. Look down in verse 18. I'll throw it up here on the screen as well. Um, verse 18 says the following. All right, I'm done with this clicker. I'm done. Can, can somebody teach me how to use this thing? Does anyone know how to? There we go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> look at this. It says this in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith 
and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Wow. So James, he is, uh, he's arguing for one thing, that actionless faith is a dead faith. And he is communicating this truth in all ways possible. He creates this imaginary situation, right? The, he creates this situation where a person refuses to serve someone else. And James points out uh, the, the flaw in that heart and the flaw in that faith. And then he brings up now a theological debate between him and in, like an imaginary person. James says, someone will say, so now it's a hypothetical situation. It's a hypothetical conversation. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. So James is creating this character, somebody who would be claiming that faith and works can be separate gifts. Like you can have a faith in God and then you could have like the desire to work for God. And those things are like completely separate. And those things are kind of like different from each other. Like it's really good that you have those works that you want to do. And it's really good that I have the faith I have. And James has this unbelievable response where he says, okay, show me your faith. So show me what this looks like apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my faith by my works. You're going to see the reality of a life spent with Jesus because of the things that I do constantly. It's this major mic drop moment. And then he continues on and he says this, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James is kind of, you know, when you're presenting an argument, when you're presenting something that you, you want someone to really grasp, you really want someone to understand, you want to really communicate the truth, sometimes it's really good to be poised and polite and kind. And James kind of doesn't really do that in this hypothetical argument. James goes kind of just from the top ropes and like gloves off and he's swinging with these imaginary, like he, he creates this person who, who is, is saying these things and he's actively fighting against it. It's like, oh yeah, you think that you can have faith without works? Oh, I'll show you my faith by my works. And then verse 19, this is really key. This is really key, guys, get this. You believe that God is one. You do well. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean when he says, uh, you believe that God is one, you do well? Well, James is now attacking a very specific uh, uh, key point of, of theology. So good uh, people at the time, uh, good uh, religious Jewish people at the time would recite this truth often in their daily lives, that God is one, along with other things during their prayer time, during all these things. That would have been a theological statement that they said all the time, God is one. And James says, you say that God is one, good for you. You know who else believes that God is one? Oh yeah, Satan's minions. And you're like, James, what in the world, man? You believe that God is one, aka you have the correct theology, you have the right perspective, that's awesome. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. What does this mean for us? Friends, it means that genuine faith is not simply knowledge of God. Genuine faith is not simply knowledge of God. James creates this character, someone who has lots of knowledge, somebody who has lots of experience, and he says, you know who else believes the same things as you? The demons, the people who are working for Satan. This is like a major mic drop moment. 
This is like a boom roasted moment for James here. And friends, all this to say, genuine faith is not simply knowledge of God. Genuine faith isn't simply knowledge of God. I heard this incredible, uh, just this incredible, like this scholar this week, he says that the, 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 the demons and the forces of darkness are perfectly orthodox and that they could probably teach us theology pretty well. But what's the difference between us and them, right? These demons, the, the, the workers of Satan, the people who uh, are opposed to the Christians, they know the truth, but what do they do because of the truth? They're terrified. They're scared. They're shuddering in fear. And what do we get to do because of our relationship with God and because we know the truth? We get to put our faith into action. We don't have to fear. We're not shuddering because the truth for us is really good. But friends, uh, genuine faith isn't simply knowledge of God. It's not having all the right answers for a test. It's not having all the right answers so you can one-up the person who thinks that they know a lot about the Bible and you know just like a little bit more than them. Genuine faith is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, correct theology isn't enough. Correct theology isn't enough. Proper knowledge isn't enough. The demons declared those, the, the ones who would be diametrically opposed to the things of God know and are aware of what God does and who God is. So friends, our simple understanding and awareness of God is good, but it's not enough. Genuine faith is not simply knowledge because what is James trying to communicate here? That a genuine relationship with God means that we're genuinely going to want to help and serve other people, to go and make our community better, to go help seek and save the lost, something that the forces of darkness would not do. We get to do it because our faith is in a person our faith is in a person, Jesus Christ. And because of that faith, we have actions that come from that. Faith in action. So friends, do you think that your proper Bible knowledge is gonna save you? Is there anyone right now in the room who thinks that their proper understanding of scripture is what's gonna bring them to a new level of heart transformation? When you open your Bible in the morning, do you do it because you feel like you want to study so you can uh, one-up somebody? Or do you open your Bible because you feel like you simply have to? Or do we dive into the knowledge of God because we love to be closer with him? James draws this radical conclusion. He says that faith without works is dead. And simple knowledge isn't enough. It's good and that is true. It's good that you have a correct theological perspective. It's good that you believe God is one, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Show me your faith apart from your works. By my works. Through my works. Testing, testing. One, two, three. Cool. Faith without works is dead. Continuing on in the passage. Now, this part gets really cool. I'm really excited to show you guys this. Continuing on, it says this in verse uh, 19, I believe it is, once it comes up here on the screen. Yes, there we go, verse 20. Look down with me at, at the text. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what faith 
that faith apart from works is useless. All right, so James is just, he is just berating this person right now. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, you foolish person, you person who does not understand that faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And it is the same way, was it not the same way also with Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers sent uh, sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So this is just a crazy now. So James has created a uh, situation. James has created uh, in verses 14 through 17, a hypothetical situation. And then he creates a hypothetical theological debate between verses 18 and 19. And now through verses 20 through 26, James is now bringing up historical examples to prove what? That actionless faith is a dead faith. That actionless faith is a dead faith. When we encounter Jesus, when we commit our lives to him, it always follows up with doing the things that God says uh, he wants us to do. When we commit ourselves to something, when we commit ourselves uh, to something that we believe in, we're going to follow that thing. We're going to follow what is required of those things. And when we follow God, when we follow after Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we want to and desire to do the things that God has called us to do. And James gives us two specific historical examples that Old Testament scholars, good religious people, would have absolutely known exactly who these two people are. But before we dive into uh, who, who these characters are that James brings up, I want us to, to look closer at the text. Verses 21, it says, it says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And then you see verses like 24 that say, you see that a person was justified by works and not by faith alone. And then Rahab, again, wasn't they, weren't they also justified by works? So we have that term there, justified by works. And you may read that and you may think, that doesn't really seem right. That doesn't seem specific, like, that doesn't seem accurate. Like, it doesn't uh, Paul say in Romans chapter 4, doesn't he also use Abraham, but he says the exact opposite thing? Romans chapter 4, uh, Paul uses the specific example of Abraham and how his uh, faith in God justified him and not by his actions. And so maybe you're right here tonight and you're thinking, well, there you go. There's a clear contradiction in Scripture. And friends, I would say that that's not true. We've talked about this before, that our faith it, it, we have two parts of our faith. We have the initial moment where we uh, meet Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we also have a lifetime of service to Jesus. Our faith is a two-part story with Jesus Christ. And so, friends, just like that, there's two different examples here of justification. There's two different uh, terms here that are being used. So Paul, 
in his writings, would use the term justified to mean uh, uh, have imputed righteousness, which is a fancy way of saying that the righteousness of God is now passed on to us. Uh, the, the, the word justification in Paul's writings would be and mean the forgiveness of sins, a person uh, being acquitted before the Lord completely. And this, friends, make no mistake, is only before God, and it is only through faith. That justification, the acquittal of sins, the forgiveness of sins, it is only through faith. So many scholars believe that James here is, uh, is referring to a, a more specific version of the word justified, uh, more uh, specific to the Old Testament. And this word justified that James uses would be, uh, mean to be declared right, being the real deal, being proven to be genuine, demonstrating and showing that these people were in the right. And so we have two different examples of justification. One, when Paul mentions it, when Paul says it, we can truly only be saved, acquitted from our sins, uh, acquitted from the death that we deserve through faith. But we show and we give the example of that genuine faith. We show that we are in the right. We show others that we are living the way God wants us to here on earth. And that is through actions. And that is shown publicly before others. So when you see verses like this, when you see verses like verse 21, you know that there's not a contradiction. This is the perfect intersection of a faith, a genuine faith, in the Lord and the subsequent actions that follow after it. It's a perfect relationship between the two. There's no contradiction. There's no confusion. There's a simple relationship between the two. When we are justified, when we are made free from our sin, we then get to show the other, uh, other people uh, around us of this reality. So let's talk about these people. He brings up two major historical uh, characters in the Old Testament. He talks about Abraham and Rahab. Abraham and Rahab. Two people that these, uh, the people who are listening, the people who uh, God is, um, or that James is talking to, would know who exactly who these people are. They would know who this per- these people are. And so do you know who they are? Do you know who they are? So Abraham is the father of, of the Israelite nation. I have a picture here on the screen. This is Abraham. This is his son Isaac. They're going for a walk where nothing substantial will happen. This is Rahab, and she is helping and assisting spies uh, who have gone out to, uh, to spy on the Canaanite land. And so Abraham, uh, to, to the listeners of James, he's the father of their nation. He's a wealthy and influential man. He's a moral staple of their society. And Rahab, to the listeners of James, was poor, was uh, using their lifestyle in a very ungodly way for money. They were uh, the lowest of the low in their society. So what happens with Abraham? Abraham, in Genesis chapter 13, there's this incredible, awesome encounter with uh, who was at the time Abram, where God reveals himself to him. And God gives a charge to this person to go out uh, into the nations to bless others. We see God's amazing heart for missions, for spreading his gospel around the world, right here in Genesis 13. And so Abraham listens. He does that. He goes out, and the Lord creates in him a new name and sets in him a new path. And so in this moment, we see a reference in Genesis 15, 
a moment where it says uh, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we see the moment where uh, uh, Abraham is now made just and now is made uh, right in the eyes of God because of his faith alone. And so Abraham goes uh, throughout, the Lord blesses him, and then the Lord blesses him with a son who is referenced here in verse 21. Wasn't he justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So what happens here? Years go by. So we have a moment where uh, Abraham is justified by faith alone in God, and he is now living a life following after God, and God tests him. He asks him to do this radical thing, and that is to offer up his son Isaac. Some, uh, Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't have kids. They weren't blessed with kids right away until their old years. And now uh, Isaac, the one son of Abraham, God asks him to make a sacrifice and to sacrifice his son. It's this radical moment where it's uncomfortable. It's, it's gruesome to think about. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's strange. It is uh, brutal. It's, it's ugly. It's gruesome. It, of course, echoes and foreshadows the reality of what we would need, a sacrifice, a perfect lamb to be slain. And Abraham, he has so much faith in God, he trusts in the Lord that he brings up his son. He binds him, which means he is very, very close to doing what God has said to do, and then God spares him. It's this incredible moment where God spares uh, Abraham's son. And so we see here, James says, was not Abraham justified by works when he offered his son up on the altar? Friends, this is giving us an example of, of what James means here when he says justified. James is showing that he has a genuine, real relationship with God by doing what God says, which leads us to the final point I want to communicate to us tonight. The final point that is just so essential that we need to be grasping if we're following after the Lord and just we're watching this kind of back and forth, this tension between the two. And that reality is that genuine faith, genuine faith in God is evidenced by external works. Genuine faith is evidenced by external works. And so we have this perfect example here where Abraham, he is lived a life with God. He was justified by faith, and now he is justified by his actions. He is showing that that genuine relationship with God exists, that that genuine relationship with God exists. And that's what James means when he says, was he not uh, justified by works when he did this thing? Right? There's a substantial time gap here. There's a moment where Abram is, encou is encountering the Lord and he believes in the Lord. And then he lives a life with Isaac. Isaac grows up and then he commits this act. He, he faithfully does what God asks him to do. We're seeing here that he couldn't have been justified, right? He, it says in uh, Genesis, Genesis 15, that Abraham, it was counted as righteousness when he believed. So there's this evidence here that we cannot produce, that James is not telling us that our actions are what saves us. Our actions are what, does, uh, what, what um, saves us in this moment. And it's a similar example with Rahab. 
It's a similar example with Rahab, where, like we mentioned before, the extreme contrast between these two people, the extreme contrast between these two people. And James is saying uh, he's creating this almost bookend reality for us, whether you're like Abraham or whether you're like Rahab, whether you're somewhere in between, like most of the people in this room are. We need to be showing that we have a genuine relationship with the Lord by our actions. Our genuine faith in God will show us, it will be evidenced by external works. We don't work towards it. We don't work to obtain it. It just becomes evidence to the world around us that we have what we say we have, that we have the thing that we say we have. We have faith in the Lord. Whether you're like Abraham, whether you're like Rahab, whether you're somewhere in the middle, we need to show the world around us that we have a genuine relationship with God. We need to show others that we have a genuine relationship with God. Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's one clear moment where he became saved and that was through faith alone. But he showed the entire world that that faith was real when he did what God said to do. And the Lord blessed him because of it. And the Lord blessed him greatly because of it. Friend, genuine faith is evidenced with external works. Genuine faith is evidenced with external works. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's James's fourth time in these 12 verses saying this truth, saying this reality. It's like this face punch for us to listen to. We read it and we believe it. But friends, how are we showing other people the love of Christ? How does your life look today because of that genuine faith in Jesus Christ? It's a two-part story of our faith. It's the moment we encounter Jesus, and then it's the life of service to him. It's a perfect union. It's a perfect marriage of these two things. It's not a contradiction in Scripture. It's not a tension in Scripture. It's the perfect intersection of the two. As we're closing here, as we're thinking of of this passage and what this passage means, I think back on a a sermon from a couple weeks ago about uh, having faith the size of a mustard seed. Right? The reality is uh, we don't need to have more faith. We just need to have genuine faith. And so, friends, it's the same thing here with our faith and our actions. It's not saying we don't have a faith of meter, right, where we don't say, oh, man, if I don't have a good enough faith today, uh, my, you know, if I, if I feel like I'm struggling in my faith, I just need to pump up the works and then I'll be good. Oh, man, if I just try harder, then God will be more happy in me. If I try hard enough in my works, it, it, then my faith gets stronger. James says that any level of genuine faith will naturally produce those things, those works of righteousness. Those, uh, that natural or that genuine faith will always produce genuine actions. It's not a certain level like the people who have super faith are always the ones uh, doing X, Y, and Z. It's any amount of faith, friends, will show us, it will, we will show others the genuine faith that we have. So right now, if you're in this room, to the person right now, if you're in the, the room and you're realizing you, you don't have 
any heart to serve others, if you have no desire, right, service, caring for others, doing things because of your relationship with Jesus, if you have no desire in your heart right now, I'd encourage you, think deeply about that faith. Think deeply about what James says to us. Think deeply about the words of verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Would that be evidence to show that maybe there's something wrong in this relationship? Maybe you've never had that moment where you've encountered the Lord. But maybe you're in this room, like many of us, and you do know the Lord. You are in a relationship with the Lord, and you know him personally. You know him deeply. And maybe you've just, you know you have a, a, a heart for serving others. You know you have a natural desire because of Christ living inside of you, but you just haven't been doing it. My challenge for you is what are you going to do? In the next seven days, how are you going to show genuinely that your faith is real, that you are who you say you are? How can you do that this week? If you're a believer and, and, and you know the Lord and, and you know that you need to be increasing, you, you know you need to be serving more uh, uh, passionately, more often, more frequently, how are you going to do that this week? How are you going to do it? And again, hear me out. It's not a faith in me to write. Like if I just do more things, then I'll get more favor. It's you know you're a believer, you know you have the heart, but you have had something stopping you. What's going to get in the way this week? Let nothing stop us this week. Well, I'm really excited. We're doing something, um, we're doing something different next week. So next week's spring break. We're super pumped about that. And we're doing something next week where we're actually going to be able to put our faith in action. We've been saying it for five weeks now. A clear application, a clear call to action all throughout this book. And so next week, we're going to set aside time to actually do what this word says, and we're going to serve others. So next week, we're super excited to announce that we're going to do something that we've never done before, our first annual Citizens Youth Spring Serve. It's going to be next week from, if you've noticed, the exact same time that we typically meet at Citizens. So we're not going to do a full sermon. We're going to do a, like a stripped-down worship set. And we're going to go from uh, beyond these four walls of the church, so to speak, and we're actually going to serve the community. We're actually going to show other people what it means to have the faith that we say we have. Some of the projects are going to be here in the building, and some of them, a lot of them are going to be outside the walls of this building. So that's next week. We felt, uh, Courtney and I kind of convicted, we give all these practical applications, and we thought, man, what are we going to actually do for you guys? How are we actually going to serve you by placing an opportunity of service in front of you? And so we're going to do this. It's our first annual spring serve, and it's in one week from today. That's how we can put our faith in action. It's just a small glimpse into how we can do what God's word says to do. So friends, a genuine faith produces a genuine lifestyle of works because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. A genuine faith produces genuine love for other people. A genuine faith isn't just knowing about God. Genuine faith is evidenced with external works. That's the reality, friends. That's the reality of what James is arguing when he says an actionless faith is a dead faith. 
Friends, when we serve, when we go out, we, we help others, when we uh, do what God's word says to do, it's just a small, just a small sl- sliver, just a fraction of, of, of what God did for us. We're about to celebrate that this week. The reality that God did everything for us, that God went the whole way to save us, that God met us in the pit of destruction and pulled us out of it. And we, how can we in our flesh, in our moments of weakness, say that we're too good to go out and help other people, that we're too good to go out and serve and to care for other people around us? God did everything for us. The least we can do is give what time we have here on earth back to him. It's the absolute least we can do. And that's what we're supposed to. Faith in action. Faith in action. Do you have faith? Do you believe in all who Jesus says he is? How does your life reflect it right now? How are you showing it? Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for your word. God, we're thankful for the truth that your word communicates to us. God, we know it's not by any works of our, ourselves. It's not by any works that we could do that we could obtain righteousness, that we could obtain a genuine relationship with you. We know that you went the whole way for us. We know that you uh, uh, called us out of the pit of destruction, God. But when we have that relationship, when we know you personally, God, I pray that there would be nothing stopping us from going out and doing what your word says to do. I pray that there would be nothing stopping us from achieving and doing the things that you have called us to do. God, would we not see a tension between faith and action, but would we see a perfect relationship? God, would you continue to perfect our faith? Would you continue to perfect our faith as we serve you? God, I pray that this week we would have uh, eyes that are open, schedules that are open, that we would be able to go and do something. God, we love you. We're so thankful that we don't have to try our hardest to work for you. We're so thankful that we don't have to strive anymore. But God, thank you that because of our relationship with you, have set in our hearts the desire to work and the desire to put our faith in action. Would we believe that this week? Would we know that that's true? We love you, Lord. It's all this we pray in your name.